you are listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Previously on Rootbound. But I am walking down this little path and I am about to expose myself to poison ivy. Steve narrowly escaped contact dermatitis from poison ivy, but the reason was a mystery. And I do not have a rash, I don't have any discomfort, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen later. Will Steve expose himself to poison ivy again? Stay tuned to find out today on Rootbound. Poison Ivy Revisited brought to you without interruption by Genus Toxicodendron. More than a rash. I definitely will not be exposing myself to poison ivy again. Well, mostly uh, you'll see later in the episode. But anyway, my name is Steve, and I host this podcast, Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. And normally each week, I invite a guest who joins me on the show to share with me about a plant that means something to them, and then I share with a guest about a plant that means something to me. But this week, it's a little bit different. It's a special episode. We're only going to be talking about one plant, and this is an even more special episode because this is the first time on Rootbound where we're going to be revisiting a plant, and that plant Uh, as you probably already know, I've mentioned it before, is poison ivy, which is a super interesting plant. And if you haven't listened to the uh, first poison ivy episode of the podcast, go back and listen to that. It's episode number 34. It was a really kind of surprising and beautiful uh, story about poison ivy from our guest, Rebecca. Um, This episode is going to take a little different tack with poison ivy, and uh, I don't want to spend too much more time on this intro because we've got lots of interesting things to hear about. And let's just get right into it. Poison ivy revisited poison ivy poison ivy you are just like poison ivy to me once i loved you now i hate you and that's the way it's going to be hi ariel welcome to rootbound Yay, I'm Rootbound. Yay. Um, very excited to have you here. And uh, this is a little bit of a special episode, as I think people are already aware. Um, and you're going to tell us about poison ivy. So yeah, what what about poison ivy? Yeah, I was so surprised when I initially suggested poison ivy. And you were like, sorry, we've already done one. Somebody else feels an attachment to poison ivy too. And I was like, how could it be? And then I listened to the episode and I was like, that's kind of a beautiful, yeah, a beautiful, um, story that they had with poison ivy and their mother. Uh, Mine is going to take a different tack. Are you ready? I am ready. Excited. (laughs) So I went to summer camp growing up for eight years as a camper and then a few years on staff. And there was a period of time from 2004 to 2008 where every single summer I got poison ivy, but not just like like a little rash here and there. It took over my entire body. Like I had to take milk baths and like put oat on my body in order to dry out the poison ivy. It was really horrendous. Oh God. Yeah. So the first time I got it was 2004. Uh, My bunkmate, whose name was also Ariel, got it really bad and it bonded us, which is kind of (laughs) nice. So we, we always think back to that. And then the next year, 2005, I had poison ivy pretty badly. But then at that point, it just kind of became a joke. Like, oh, when is they called me Nis because my last name is Nis and Blatt. When is Nis going to get poison ivy this year? And I was like, hopefully not. And now that I've learned that some people are immune completely, I realized that I feel like a good percentage of my my bunk must have been immune because I had it. I had a raging case every single year wow. and almost nobody else got it. Anyway, 2005, I get poison ivy because I 
played soccer at summer camp and the fields were not groomed very well. And I am just sure that I went to retrieve a ball at some point and there was just a, a bush of poison ivy. Would it be a bush? Technically? It can be, you know, you know, that's one thing that's super interesting about poison ivy. It's a shapeshifter. It can mm. just look like a ivy crawling along the ground. Wow. It can kind of form into a bush. It can climb up trees and mimic the way the trees look. So it, it can look like branches of a tree sometimes. It's a very tricky plant. What is poison ivy's goal? To take over the world? <sighs> you know, I, I, I mentioned this a little bit in the previous episode. And um, it, I think it's, I think it's, um, and my sister mentioned this too in a little recording she had. It, I think its goal is to teach humans about awareness. Oh, but like scientifically, you think that's what its goal is? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, what, yeah. what it's its goal, I like of any living. What thing, is anybody just, anybody's it, goal? Yeah, it's to survive, yeah. right? Totally right. Yeah, and it, it it does a good job of avoiding getting eaten, I guess, by yeah. a lot of things because it's it's because uh, you that. learn not to come back. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Um, yeah. So it's 2005. I get poison ivy very badly. It starts out just on my arms, and I'm like, okay, maybe I can control it this year. And turns out I cannot control it because it's just when it's the summer in the New York area, it's so sweaty. You're scratching constantly, even though you're told not to. And what would have <laughs> stopped it is air conditioning, right? If I, oh, sure. If I could have just been in air conditioning for a few hours a day, I would have stopped sweating and sweat tends to spread the poison ivy. But mm -hmm. that was not an option. So it spread pretty quickly, um, absolutely everywhere. And... At one point, I, I, and I want to say this took two weeks out of the summer for me that I had like boils on my skin from poison oh my ivy. Oh gosh. Yeah, it was like really not a good case. <laughs> and at one point during this time, uh, I have like hydrocortisone packets with me constantly. And they're in my bag and my, my bunk and like a few other of the girls' cabins went to a bowling alley one day. And so I did get some air conditioning for a little bit. And while we're there, we're bowling. But there's also one of those cute little tattoo machines where you can uh, put some coins in and then you push a little metal lever and then some tattoos come out. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, about? yeah. Those like little temporary tattoo things. Yeah. yeah, yeah things totally. that you like specifically at a bowling alley in like yeah. the early 2000s. <laughs> totally, totally. So, um, so I get uh, a bunch of tattoos. I put a few tattoos on in the places that I'm not ravaged by <laughs> poison ivy. And then I put the rest of the tattoos in my bag in the same place that I had my hydrocortisone packets. Um, great. A few weeks pass. Do you know where this is going? No, I, I, I'm, I'm very... I, Not a clue. I, yeah, I don't, know. Am I doing a good job with suspense? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so um, a few weeks pass, the poison ivy goes away, the rest of the summer happens, great summer, uh, then go home, have the year. I think I was now in seventh grade. I come back at the end of seventh grade to summer camp, have the same backpack, I am at one point going through my backpack and I find tattoos and I think, let me put this tattoo on. And then about three days later, poison ivy comes in right on the area where I placed the tattoo. Wow. Yeah. And then, and for a while I, I, I did not know where this poison ivy came from for like, I want to say like six months, I was trying to figure out why I had had such bad poison ivy again, a, a third year in a row, but a second mm -hmm. year like this bad. And it only occurred to me later after I learned a little bit and then this was reinforced on the episode that you had on Poison Ivy that the um, the oil can mm -hmm. stay alive for a really, really long time in the right yeah, conditions. Yeah, it's just oil. It's like, yeah. you know, I mean, it can it can break down uh, in certain conditions, but yeah, it's, it's just like oil and it's like oil doesn't go away, uh, you know? Yeah. So I got Poison Ivy horrifically again. So how did that happen exactly? The, 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 
hydrocortisone patches were touching and touching they had the been tattoo. on your skin. And yeah. so they had, wow. <laughs> I know, I know. You're, you're very sensitive to that, Horatio. Wow. And it's crazy because I'm not really that sensitive to anything. I'm not allergic to anything else. Interesting. I know. That's what's Nothing. so fascinating about poison ivy because most other, like when you think of other poison plants, we talked about stinging nettle, stinging nettle in an episode not too long ago. And it it has this mechanical way of like getting under your skin and like, stuff that's specifically like kind of designed to irritate but but arushiol that active ingredient poison ivy is an allergen and the way that you get the effect is your body actually reacting to it it's trying to get the oil out right yeah it's uh, it's almost just seeing what is what is how it's actually how i from my understanding i'm not the chemist here but from (laughs) my understanding is the um it the way that the urushiol bonds with your skin cells, it it turns your skin cells into like foreign objects, and then your body's like gotta we gotta like get rid of these. Yeah, and I think if you're really sensitive, I guess I was actually reading somewhere that you know fifty micrograms can cause a sensitive individual to have a horrendous reaction, and a grain of salt weighs sixty micrograms. Wow! So less than a grain of salt of urushiol can cause someone like you to have a really serious reaction, which is just mind blowing, and that's like that that. It, it really speaks to the fact that it's not really the arushiol. It's how your body responds to the arushiol that right. causes the reaction, which is super fascinating. Right. And I I always wonder, maybe it's compensating for the fact that I'm not really allergic to anything else. Mm-hmm. And in order to learn this awareness of which you speak, <laughs> the poison ivy was like, we're going to counteract the fact that she's not really allergic to any sort of detergent or any foods or anything like that. I will say mangoes every once in a while will make my lips more chapped than they need to be. So interesting. <laughs> yes, as we yeah. mentioned in the episode that mangoes yes. have, it, have it too very little bit and most people aren't sensitive at all. But I guess, yeah, if you're... I guess I'm allergic to arushiol. Yeah, wow. <laughs> Good to know. So, um, yeah, so that summer, eventually the poison ivy clears. The next summer, I get poison ivy, but different, not from the packets of hydrocortisone that were touching <laughs> the tattoos. And the following summer, I got it again. And then I took a few years off <laughs> from poison ivy. <laughs> and then I only just got it in the summer of 2021. Interesting. And do you remember now coming in contact with a plant? When I, in 2021? Or, or any of these times. Do you like remember specifically going, oh no, I'm going to get poison ivy now? I remember running into a bush at some point and being like, uh-huh. oh, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> but this past time that I had poison ivy, I was just helping my dad pull weeds mm. and poison ivy and i was living in new york and i just went to urgent care and they actually gave me a a medicine Mm. whereas prednisone is what they gave me okay yeah i feel like it's really important for everybody to know (laughs) which which pill to get if you get poison ivy so hydrocortisone works to a certain extent and like your guest was saying before that pink calamine lotion is also definitely a thing Mm -hmm. and another remedy is to go to the infirmary at camp in the berkshires and have the nurse doobie give you a milk bath (laughs) let's talk about the milk bath and the oatmeal bath this is something i I had some kind of rash when I was a kid, and we had some kind of oatmeal bath, but it's 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 I don't remember much about it. It's, it's supposed it's to be drying, drying. I see. Yeah. And I I guess in that case, whatever's going on in your skin that helps. It, basically, it help? you want the poison ivy to crust so that uh. it becomes a scab, so that it ends. But if it keeps being, this is so gross. If it keeps <laughs> oozing, yeah. then it's just going to keep spreading. Well, that's interesting too, because I, I think, you know, trying to logic this out and if anybody out there is a super expert in how this works, because, you know, you have to imagine that 
there's not very much poison ivy actually left in your skin at any point. Right. But it's the cells that have been bonded with it and have been changed and your body's reacting to. And so they're still there and they're still oozing. And however, they're like working, like, you know, you don't, it's not like you get magically more oil on your skin over right. all that time, but it's just, it's just this interesting way that your body has like decided that this layer of your skin is the enemy now. It's funny. It's like we say, I got poison ivy, but we, what we really mean is I touch poison ivy and now my body is trying to expel poison, the arushio. Yeah. The, is that right? Is, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think so. And, the, and it, it's, um, it's kind of like the trigger to your body doing something versus like other poisons where the poison is actively like damaging you. Oh wow. Uh, right? It's not the it's it's not really poisonous. It is an allergen and and your body is doing most of the work. It reminds me it's kind of a weird analogy. Uh, <laughs> um but it's it's it reminds me of actually how LSD works. LSD doesn't actually actively make people hallucinate it triggers something in your brain and then your brain hallucinates. And, and and LSD can be gone from your system entirely and you before before you even ex- exhibit the uh, effects of it. And same thing with like the small doses. And so I think it's so fascinating. I think there's probably some other great examples about that. I should reach at that about how your body can react to something even Long though that, that thing is no longer there doing the yeah. work, right? It's just the way you react to it. Well, one of those things is PTSD. Oh, sure. Yeah. I, I mean right? Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, that's uh, an interesting different way of thinking of like cause and effect, right? But it's it's a st- outside stimulant that uh, yeah, that's fascinating. And it can yeah. live with you even if you haven't been triggered by that initial thing for years. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting way to think about it cuz like you don't ever, you know, you don't normally think of like like stimuli like that on the same level of of a of like a poison ivy, but they're both right. kinds of like a, a kind of trauma, really a kind of trauma and a trauma that, that uh, can affect different people. Wow. That's quite, quite uh, poetic. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see. I had some other questions about your experience. with poison. Oh yeah. So the, so did the oatmeal bath work? The milk bath worked. Milk bath worked better than oatmeal bath. Yeah. That's all. You need a lot of milk to do that. A lot of milk. <laughs> <laughs> That seems like uh, it'd be expensive. They were willing to shell out for me. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like call the milk truck. Yeah, basically. <laughs> but the way it worked was they gave me, it wasn't dipped nude in a bath at <laughs> summer camp. It was okay. give me, it is an aluminum tub, milk in the aluminum tub, put my face in the, the tub and then another tub for my feet. And then we would dip gauze pads into that and then like run it up my legs and arms it's disgusting. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> and then the rest of the campers were very bummed when they couldn't this have cereal the next morning. This is a great interview. People, t- <laughs> I, I tell people all the time. I guest on a lot of podcasts, and I mostly uh, talk about podcasting. Yeah, this yeah. This is a different side. <laughs> <laughs> Get to hear about milk bath. Yeah, the poor campers couldn't have cereal for breakfast the next morning because Ariel used all the milk. And you know that the way that the milk works at summer camp is it's those tiny little cartons. So can you imagine <laughs> they're just like dumping tiny little cartons? <laughs> that that. That is really funny. Um, and then, yeah, when you're at camp, like, you, yeah, I, I get that's so, I, so, I mean, it's so funny that I had a whole episode about Poison Ivy and me and the guest really didn't have any yeah. reaction. <laughs> I feel like you need of, this representation. Totally. This is important. <laughs> totally. And so it's really interesting thing about because, like, I was actually just out. Um, I just noticed two days ago that there's some Poison Ivy coming through the fence from across the, the, the fence. And so I was like, well, 
I'm going to go play no. with it a little bit. No. <laughs> now, I, I put gloves on, and I was very careful not to touch it. But 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 then how are you going to know if you are allergic to it? Well, I... I I don't think I'm going to try that again because I was taking the advice from from uh, Rebecca Mepson. And now you have a baby. You don't want to, yeah. I don't want. You don't want to tempt fate and everything like that. And I also like like it can transfer, you know, right? So even if I don't have a reaction, if I touch something without washing properly, maybe the baby could get it. So I was being really careful. But what I was really curious about the the rabbit hole I went down a little bit in the episode, but afterwards is this um, property of plants in the toxicodendron genus which i didn't mention in the last episode that's the coolest genus name i think what does roto mean um rodo rodo like toxico well oh din- well so dendron means tree got it i don't know what the rota means in that in the sense question for another episode but so toxicodendron <laughs> is the toxic tree genus mm-hmm. um and there's a lot of things in that genus poison oak and poison ivy and poison sumac are all in toxicodendron um but then as you mentioned that episode, there's a Japanese tree called the Urushi tree, which is yes. where the word Urushio comes from. There's another um, tree from Japan that is called Toxicodendron uh, succedaneum, which is also called the Japanese wax tree. Um, and the the Urushio, the Urushi tree is also known as the Japanese lacquer tree. And so right. the Urushio has this ability to like form a lacquer. And it's a whole like thing. I was looking online, and you can buy little little like uh, tubes of Urushi lacquer, and people use it for the um, as part of the practice of kintsugi, which is this uh, damaging uh, broken objects and making them more beautiful. You often oh. see where like you like put a broken pot together and line the cracks with gold and to highlight oh, the I've flaws. People do that Ar- with resin too. Yeah, wow. and Urushi is one of the, the the things that are classically used in that practice. Wow. Uh, the Urushi lacquer. Um, and then apparently in the process of making a Rushi lacquer, uh, uh, there's a byproduct that is a wax. And I, actually, I guess in like feudal Japan, a lot of s- candles were made from the wax of this tree. And so I was like, that's super fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I, like, I, I've just still been wondering, like, does poison ivy... Is that ivy- contagious? Well, it is. Huh. So th- this is what's so fascinating. It, it contains Arushiol, and you can get the contact dermatitis from the Arushi tree. Now, I think once it's turned into the lacquer or turned into the wax, it loses that property for whatever. I've, I've, I haven't heard anyone getting any contact dermatitis from an Arushi lacquered bowl. Um, I actually really want to buy one. I almost did the other day. <laughs> um, I just wasn't quite sure about like how real it was. I got to do some more research. Um, uh, but... So apparently it loses that, but the but the actual sap that they use to make the the lacquer contains arushiol, and and you can get the same contact dermatitis. And I just think it's so fascinating that you know on one part of the globe there's an entire cultural system built up around this tree that is poisonous, but that same property hasn't been fully, at least in our understanding, explored. And so I was trying to do a little bit more research on that, and I did. I was one of my favorite things to do podcast about plants is to try to go on google books and go back as far as i can Whoa. um and i forget the year on this i'll put it in the show notes but i found a pretty old book i think it's from the uh, 1700s and it's just a, a catalog of a bunch of different plants um and this is one of the earliest references in google books to poison ivy and it says here what does it say uh, a milky juice exudes from the stalks and leaves which will stain linen a deep and unfading black uh, this juice is said to have been used by uh, uh, Native Americans in staining the uh, hardest substances a deep and permanent black. And I've read wow. some other circumstances there, too. Um, oh, and the last line of this is really cool. It says, some have supposed 
its properties are not inferior to those of the Japanese varnish tree. Uh, it is undoubtedly worthy of attention, but apparently we haven't given it that attention. I'll give I'll give it some. Yeah, yeah. I think about I mean, it all the time. <laughs> um, so, so, so I, you know, it has this property of, of turning things black. I, I imagine if you process it correctly, you probably could use lacquer from it. It's probably just a little bit trickier because it doesn't have a, like the Arushi tree is more like a tree. It's got a trunk. And you, rare, I mean, sometimes you'll find some pretty thick um, vines of poison ivy. Yeah. And maybe you could do it for that. But I just, I don't know why. It, it's one of those things where cultures develop about things and, and, uh, and for some reason have it. So when I was outside playing with poison ivy, I wanted to test because I also read somewhere that you can verify if something is a toxicodendron species by taking the leaves and crumpling them a paper towel and get the sap and with gloves, <laughs> which I did. And then seeing black, the, the, the sap will turn it black. Whoa. I just tried that. It didn't work, but I, I also didn't see a lot of sap. Mm. And so I think maybe it's just a, a time of the year where the sap isn't flowing very much. Mm -hmm. I also tried to see if I could get some Arushiol onto a piece of paper out there and nothing really happened. I'm going to go check in, in, in a little bit because sometimes that uh, it has to do with humidity and things, I guess. I don't Is it think humid yet by you? Uh, not, not, it's for, for, for DC, it's not say, that humid. <laughs> it gets really <laughs> <Yeah>. bad there. <laughs> oh yeah, it does. It's not that humid yet for DC. Uh, so anyway, I don't think anything's going to happen, but I, I, I keep considering whether I should explore this more and I, I keep pulling back cause I don't mm. want to get, get, I don't want to risk it. You know, I was like trying to think about like, I was reading how theoretically you could extract a ruchiol and I found some like, you know, it was like. Not it wasn't specifically for this, but how to extract oil from leaves. And it seems very complicated, and doing it with something that is toxic. I, I don't. I don't think I'm gonna mess with it. And just disclaimer to the audience: probably don't mess with it. <laughs> but I, I would love maybe. I don't know how to facilitate this. I would love to like introduce an Arushi master from Japan to somebody who's like a, a cultivator in America to see if you could actually get the same material out of poison ivy. And I tried to Google and Google to see if anyone has ever really done that. And I don't think it's it's really been done, at least not documented on the internet. Yeah, and it would also be interesting to have somebody in the room who is not allergic. Yes. And see what happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, wow. Um, well, I'm, I'm very sorry that you've had such a negative reaction to this plant. Um, it's okay. I actually think it's kind of beautiful. And now, uh, I broke my elbow a few years ago uh, rollerblading in New York, and now I have this gnarly scar down my elbow it's like nine inches long Whoa. and i keep thinking about getting getting it made into a vine via a tattoo and then like maybe poison ivy leaves would be a cool you thing should. to put on there yeah that would be cool that would you be could cool. have i mean that's there's a great story there because it's not only a poison ivy story but it's also a tattoo story exactly <laughs> yeah, exactly yes. then i can come on again <laughs> yeah all right um well did any anything else about poison ivy did we miss anything yeah i mean i did some googling and what I found that's interesting is if you Google any other, and you, you mentioned this a little bit in your other conversation, but if you Google any other tree or living thing, it, it's mostly positive associations. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you Google poison ivy, it's all poison ivy rash, poison ivy bad, poison mm -hmm. ivy this. And I'm kind of like, I had to work really hard to find poison ivy fun facts. Yeah. <laughs> and I shouldn't have to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were there were there any, were there any of them? Any yeah. I like this. Well, yeah, this is this really backed up. Arushiol can stay potent for up to five years. Wow, five years. That's wow. why the packets. So when I when I made this discovery that the hydrocortisone packets in my backpack gave me poison ivy a second year, 
everyone was like, that is nuts and not possible. And I was yeah. like, I really, really think it's possible. And it turns out it is possible according to bioweb.uwlax.edu. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you only needed, I mean, it sounds like you only needed a grain of Sandsworth too. So of course, yeah. Yeah. And then there were a few more fun ones on here that I liked that you mentioned this one, Arushal was used as dye by the Native Americans. Wow, yeah. I mean, it's all coming together for me. The mango thing, I really, mangoes are not terrible for me, but mm -hmm. if I eat too many, my lips definitely get a similar situation as as my arms. <laughs> big, big, big warning then is if you ever go somewhere where you could get uh, the cashew fruit juice, yes. don't, don't, don't drink oh, it. Oh, interesting. Because It might affect the, my throat if that's the case. I guess, I guess may, maybe, or be very careful yeah. with it because the fruit of the of the cashew is the one that has the arushio on it. The cashew, I do but, eat cashews. By the time they process fine. a cashew, it, it sh that shouldn't be anything because the cashew... Look, Google a cashew sometime yeah. and how they get the cashew. Have you ever seen that before? No, but... It sounds complicated. <laughs> it's mind blowing that this little nut, how this nut is produced. All <laughs> the anyway. all the nuts actually are produced in in ways that I don't think that most people know because we used to have to use nutcrackers mm, and mm -hmm. we don't anymore. Most things come shelled at this point, but like totally. walnuts, for example, my mom was telling me that when she was growing up, they would have a nutcracker and they, I don't even know what the outside of a walnut looks like. I don't know what that is. You oh, know? the walnut, the walnut is super interesting. If you, if you find a walnut tree, black walnut tree, which are the ones that are native to North America, um, the, the fruit looks like a, like a green tennis ball. Wow. And, and it actually has this, uh, this like flesh and oh, then you have to get the flesh off. It. And speaking yeah. of dying things black, it, it will dye your hands black. Wow. See? I, I, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's something that we don't really have nowadays because food is so processed or it goes True. through so many steps yeah. in order to get to us. But you know what this all just reminded me of is I listened to a podcast called Mobituaries. Have you heard of it? No, I haven't. Sounds fun. It's, it's a comedian, historian, broadcaster named Mo Rocca. He's often oh, yeah. on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah and uh, CBS Sunday Morning. Yes, as well. exactly. Yeah. And he um, he has a podcast called Mobituaries where he does obituaries, but his name is Mo. And sometimes <laughs> the obituaries are for people. Sometimes they're for things. Sometimes they're for concepts. Sometimes they're for like the entire Neanderthal race. It's really interesting. And <laughs> yeah, that he great. did an episode a few months ago on the Gros Michel banana. Are you familiar with this? No. So you know how the only real banana we have nowadays is the Cavendish? Yes, yes. Yeah, so apparently there used to be hundreds more varieties, and yeah. they all died out because of a, a bug or a blight. Yeah. And I feel like if I ever come on again, I feel like people have favorite or like people have interest. This is a great concept for a podcast. <laughs> oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Uh, that means a lot coming from you, uh, which the audience uh, knows that uh, Ariel is like. If you if you want to if you want a stock photo of a podcaster, yes. you're gonna find Ariel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so she, she's like uh, very uh, prominent in the podcast space. Um, so yeah, th well, thank you. Yeah, but I would talk about the Grow Michelle banana next time. <laughs> well, well, I'll, I'll definitely uh, keep that uh, on deck because we have not got to bananas yet, and they're very fascinating. Well, does that count? Um, I guess it's it's a plant. Yeah, any plant. I mean, that's yeah. that's so. That's Do you so know funny. they the grow using negative geotropism? I don't even know what that means. That's like when you see them growing upside down, they're growing kind of up. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Negative geotrope. That's because, a great word. Because I know. Because think about it. It's working against gravity. It's nuts. Yeah. It's a miracle. Yeah. It's bananas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, before we get off to on bananas, I think maybe it's a good time to wrap it up. But yeah, thank you for sharing your... Um, your uh, poison ivy traumas with me and i uh, hope that you don't get it again do, do you at least have you have you learned to recognize the no. leaf at this point <laughs> <laughs> i 
have an idea, but you know, it That's looks my, different. <laughs> it does a little bit. It's a really interesting thing about poison ivy. I, I talked about it a few episodes ago about this concept. I'm going off more tangent, but that's fine. One more tangent. I talked about this concept I learned on an episode a while back called um, plant awareness disparity. And this is this concept that humans tend to notice animals more than they notice plants. Huh. And when you is like. Is it because they have eyes? And we, we're, we're like drawn to eyes? Yeah, and, and and why it is is not all that clear, and there are theories, but you know we tend to see plants as part of the background and not as like the main character. You're right. And and but when you look outside, most of what you see is plants at any given time, right? <laughs> plants are everywhere, and so uh, you know, th- does that count? You know, they think like our concept of a banana is like morphed into food, and we don't necessarily you know think about it as a plant. Yeah. So it's really interesting the way that we we think about plants. And so one of the things I think this podcast has helped me with, and I hope it helps the audience, is to combat the plant awareness disparity and start seeing plants as like the unique individual life forms that yeah. they are. And just as cool as, you know, as animals and humans. I have tons of plants here. And when I went away for two weeks, I was positive and I, I did not line somebody up to water them. I was I did not have time. They somehow survived. And I am really grateful. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it started to get more humid outside and the, the sunshine is different than it was. But man, I'm grateful. I've got a fiddly fig. I've Ooh, got cool. a pothos. I've got a snake plant. And then I have a little monstera. And then I have something that I don't know what it's called, but I like it. Very cool. Those are like the the, the best the house of houseplants. Yeah, plants. yeah <laughs> indeed. Um, well, well, cool. Well, thanks again for sharing. Uh, and um, maybe we'll talk to you on another episode. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Poison ivy, don't want you growing in my yard. Poison ivy, poison ivy, you are just like poison ivy to me. Oh, once I loved you, now I hate you, and that's the way it's going to be. Hello? Anita, is that you? Yes. Hi, thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Sure, happy to. Um, so we just talked with my friend Ariel about her uh, negative experience with poison ivy. And in a previous episode, uh, we talked with my friend Rebecca about how she was actually immune to poison ivy. But, but both of them commented, when you try to Google about poison ivy, everything is like, watch out. Here's how you treat it. Here's all the negative things about it. And, and we we're all talking about how can we find kind of like the positive aspects. And I think through Googling, I found the perfect person to talk about that is, is you. And, and so maybe I think you, maybe you could explain why that is and uh, maybe fill us in with a few of those more positive facts about this uh, pretty cool plant. Well, poison ivy is actually an incredible plant. Um, it's The thing is that we always think human-centrically it's bad for people. Yes, and I do get itchy from it. I get that. It's no fun. But if you can broaden your thinking to beyond the human species, there's lots of other species on this planet, too. We're not the only ones. And it's just people that are allergic to poison ivy. So wow. poison ivy is it's, poison ivy is an incredible wildlife food. It's a native American plant. It was here millennia before humans got here. And it's a major wildlife food. And no, their mouths don't get itchy. All sorts of animals eat it. 
it's just us that get it gets itchy from it. That is a fascinating thing and just very like kind of confounding of how that happened, I guess. Yeah, because, you know, again, we never think about, you know, the other species that share this planet with us. Everybody loves bluebirds, right? And everybody loves cardinals and mockingbirds and robins. And, you know, we put up bird feeders to attract cardinals. But what we don't realize is that poison ivy is a major winter survival food for these birds. Um, Poison ivy has berries. And these berries, they, they tend to stick on the poison ivy vine all through the winter. They're very sort of dry and waxy. They don't like shrivel up, you know, like raspberries do. And so in the dead end of winter, February and March, when, you know, there's really like not, almost nothing left to eat, birds will eat poison ivy berries. And it's a really important survival food for them. So it's a, a major bird feeding food. If you like birds, you should, you know, maybe not love poison ivy, <laughs> but at least, you know, be willing to, if you can, peacefully coexist with it. That's super fascinating. Yeah, I think that's a, a a really great point just in general about how I think humans always look for the utility of food. I, I'm kind of guilty of that too. I'm really always into trying to plant food that I can eat. And sometimes I forget that other things eat too, and, and it's just as important. So that's a really cool point. Now, I mentioned that uh, you're probably the perfect person to talk about poison ivy, and people have heard that you have some pretty fantastic things to say, but, but, but maybe you can fill in the audience about why you're that person uh, regarding poison ivy. Well, I am probably the only person in the world to have written not one, but two books about poison ivy. Um, one is for children. It's called Leaflets 3. And it's a picture book, you know, for little kids to help kids and also grown-ups identify poison ivy. The reason so many people hate and fear poison ivy is they don't know what it looks like. They go in the woods, they come back, they get itchy. It was poison ivy. But poison ivy is not like, you know, a mountain lion that's going to sneak up behind you and leap on you. If you know what it looks like, you can't avoid it, but it is a hard plant to identify. So my little kid book is designed to help little kids identify it and also to point out all the cool different animals that eat it, like bears and deer and rabbits and squirrels and butterflies and bees and and the birds. Then I also have a book for adults, which is called In Praise of Poison Ivy. And I think everyone thinks the title is a joke and that I'm being sarcastic, but (laughs) I'm not. The book is you know, a book praising poison ivy and all the cool things about it. Um, And also has a lot of information on, you know, what to do if you touch it and how to avoid it and stuff like that. But uh, that book is for adults. One thing I saw in the description about that book and praise of poison ivy, which I hadn't heard of it, is that it was imported to Europe as ornamental plant. Yes, believe it or not. um, When the Jamestown colony was established right away, people or you know the Europeans realized that there were all these beautiful plants in America and gardening was booming back in Europe. It was like the thing that kings and emperors and lords and ladies were doing for fun. They were, you know, making these beautiful estates with beautiful gardens. So it was a very lucrative market to ship American plants back across the Atlantic to Europe. And poison ivy was one of the very first plants that was shipped over in the 1600s, early 1600s, and was planted in the gardens of kings and emperors. We know it was planted 
at Versailles when Marie Antoinette was gardening. That was later in the 1700s. So it was a very popular garden plant in the gardens of the rich and wealthy, you know, rich and famous people who weren't doing the gardening themselves. You know, they would, okay. tell, <laughs> they would tell someone, oh, why don't you, you know, I don't plant the white pines over there and plant the Virginia creeper over there and plant the poison ivy over there. And, you know, they didn't have to touch it themselves. But it was a very valuable plant. Um, it was, there was probably a time when poison ivy seeds were almost literally worth their weight in gold. Wow. Well, that is but, a fun I mean, fact. It's, wow. How, it's funny how human values change. Um, you know, who would buy poison ivy seeds now? But they were once very valuable. Um, and then it, as gardening then became something that, you know, your average person was doing it for some reason, kind of dropped out of favor. And no one gardens it now. But it's a beautiful plant. In fall, it turns gorgeous colors. And one reason that people get it is people who are gathering beautiful autumn leaves pick these beautiful red and scarlet leaves and don't realize till it's too late that they pick poison ivy. Very, very interesting. Um, okay. I, I could talk to you about poison ivy for a long time and maybe we'll have to do this again sometime because this is super fascinating. Um, uh, but I have one last question. It's a rabbit hole that I've gone down a lot. And if you don't have an answer, it's okay. But I've been okay. fascinated with this concept um, of the, of the compound being uh, the same compound in the Japanese Arushi tree and that people use it to make, this beautiful lacquerware in Japan. And I'm curious, has anyone ever attempted to do that with the same compounds in poison ivy? Not that I know of. Um, you are very likely to get a horrible rash as you're <laughs> doing that. It's, the Japanese lacquer workers would often suffer from a terrible rash. So as far as I know, no one has attempted to duplicate it with poison ivy. But you're right, it is the same chemical compound. Very interesting. Um, well, I, I don't want to take any more of your time. I know you're you're out looking at some super blooms in California, but I, I uh, really uh, appreciate you taking the time to uh, talk to us about some positive aspects of poison ivy. And yes, let's all think about the animals and and how important it is to them. And and also, you're right; it's a beautiful plant. I really think it's a it's a beautiful plant, even when it's not red. When it's green, the the leaves have this this they have this different color once you learn to see it. I think. Yeah, it's a very inconspicuous plant. So, but once you learn to notice it, you know, I, I do find it a pretty vine. So it's, but it's, you know, it doesn't, you don't have to let it, you know, be in your backyard, but if you can just sort of leave it alone, if it's, you know, way in the back, away from the kids and, you know, let it do its thing and just let it be. Uh, well, that's great advice. And uh, thanks, Anita, once again, for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Thank you. Poison ivy, don't want you growing in my backyard. That little song you've heard several times throughout this episode is called, you guessed it, Poison Ivy. It was written by Eddie Pola and George Weil. And the first time you heard it, it was performed by Jeanette Davis and the Mariners. Then the next time you heard it, it was performed by Gordon McRae and the Starlighters. And then finally, by the one and only Gene Autry, all were recorded around 1949-1950. Rewinding a little bit, uh, the author we just spoke to on the phone a few minutes ago, uh, her full name is Anita Sanchez. She writes all sorts of really cool books, and this is not an advertisement. Uh, you know that Rootbound only has fake ads, but I just got my copy of her book, In Praise of Poison Ivy. I have it right here, and I'm very excited 
to uh, get into this and learn more about this really cool plant. And so I highly recommend you go out and get a copy yourself. Also, she's got that children's book, Leaflets 3, which I also have a copy coming of. It's a little bit harder to find, but I'm very excited for that as well. And uh, yes, this is not sponsored by Anita. I'm just like so excited to find someone who's like at the level with Poison Ivy where I think I'm headed because I'm getting more obsessed with this plant. And so it was really great to talk with her. So thank you, Anita, for uh, filling us in with your uh, joy about Poison Ivy. And with that, I think it wraps up our first ever revisit of a plant on Rootbound. Talk to you in the next episode. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Ariel Nissenblatt. Ariel is the founder of Earbuds Podcast Collective, the head of community and content at Squadcast.fm, a podcast marketing and growth enthusiast, and wants to help you find your next favorite podcast. You can learn more about Ariel at her website, which is arielnissenblatt.com. And if you can't spell that, there is a link in the show notes. Special thanks also to Anita Sanchez. I've got links to both of her books also in the show notes. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com support and find all the ways you can help support the show, including supporting it on Patreon. Rootbound is hosted by the guy who sometimes plays with Poison Ivy, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lonnie. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside and you see some poison ivy, try to be willing to peacefully coexist with it. Tune in next time to Rootbound. Same root time, same root channel. Sponsored by Toxicodendron.